This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Talk money to me. Welcome to Talk Money To Me. This is your need to know financial podcast and we would argue one of the best podcasts going around town at the moment. Thanks for joining us. I'm Candice Burke. And I'm Felicity Thomas. Now today marks our final Shaw Analyst three-part series. And to wrap us up, we're joined by Philip Pepe. Now, Philip is a senior analyst covering the industrial sector from the Shore and Partners research team. Welcome, Philip. It's really nice to be chatting to you and have you on our show. No, lovely to be here, especially after hearing my uh, my co-analysts go first. It's, uh, yeah... It's, it's good to be on board. That's it. There's a little bit of competition here. Who is going to get the most downloads? Now, aside from covering the ASX industrial sector, Philip also covers the small to mid cap companies across a number of different sectors, which we're actually going to be hearing about in this episode. Now, he's worked in the investment industry for over 25 years in roles that include investment consulting, funds management and stock broking. He's also lectured for various educational bodies, including the Financial Services Institute of Australasia and the Institute. Institute of Actuaries of Australia. Now, Philip's qualifications include a Bachelor of Commerce with honours, a Graduate Diploma in Applied Finance and Investment, Chartered Financial Analyst, and a Fellow of the Institute of Actuaries of Australia. Wow, that is a huge wrap that you've got. I've read a lot of books, yeah. <laughs> we can't wait to hear your insights. Now, all right, guys, you know the drill. Before we get into today's conversation, as a reminder, although we are registered financial advisors at Shoring Partners, Felicity and I, and Philip is obviously in our research team, please note that this podcast and the content discussed does not constitute as financial personal advice, nor is it a financial product. Okay, so let's jump into today's conversation. As we mentioned in your intro there, Philip, you're the lucky last analyst in our series here, so no pressure. But let's start off the conversation with giving our listeners some more context. You know, can you explain to us the brief rundown of the ASX sectors you do cover? What's been going on in the last couple of weeks that's, you know, pricked your interest? I'm a generalist. I like being a generalist. I couldn't think of anything more boring than turning up every day and just covering the one sector that doesn't change from year to year. So there are some themes that are constant across all the sectors I cover. I mean, they include, you know, retail, healthcare, financial services, agriculture, property, mining services, engineering, tech, etc. So there's some constant themes within that. And there are different ways um, the sectors are responding to current conditions. So everyone's discussing the value of the Australian dollar, the new normal, whatever that means, cost pressures, a lot of wage inflation coming through at the moment. So some of those themes are permanent and some of those themes are temporary. And as analysts, we're all trying to work out what's happening on an underlying basis um, and what's uh, perhaps temporary and one-off in nature. Any stocks in particular that you've followed over the years or recently picked up that has come out as a bit of a surprise, you know, in the last couple of weeks of information or indeed the reporting season? 
The two that have been most surprising to the market, given share price reactions, is some of the retail stocks, so some of the consumer mm-hmm. discretionary stocks, and some of the agriculture stocks. And if I was to grossly oversummarise each of them, the reporting season we just had in February was for results ending December 2021. So we covered the September lockdown in parts of Australia. People in some cases, or analysts in some cases, underestimated what that actually meant um, for companies. Like companies may have reported at their AGMs that conditions were challenging because of the ongoing lockdowns. Well, what did that mean? We found out in numbers what they meant in February. In some cases, they were more negative than the market had expected. In other cases, um, staff costs went up. You know, we saw the unemployment. Yes, I do know the unemployment rate's around 4% at the moment. Not everybody knows that, apparently. But, you know, unemployment rate low means wages cost high uh, or going up. And, you know, the IT sector has seen cost rises. And it's amazing the number of companies that reported um, staff cost rises or IT cost rises. Each one was a surprise, even though their peers had reported cost increases a few days earlier. In the act space, it's quite the opposite. Conditions are strong. And it's almost like one company after the other reporting strong conditions. And yet the market doesn't realise that, geez, if they're strong for one or two, maybe they're strong for three or four. And yet every time there's an earnings upgrade in a new company, that stock rallies, but the market seems to have missed it. Now, there's a lot goes on in February. It's, a, it's one of the busiest times of the year. It's only 28 days. So the same number of companies reporting in three days less than you get in, in August. And I guess, um, you know, some of it's obvious in hindsight, but not obvious when the results come out. You know, how has the agriculture sector really changed in the last kind of two years due to COVID? You know, do you think this sector over the last, you know, five years even has changed since you've been covering it? Yeah, the one thing I like about agriculture, it's it's a good diversifier. Now, you don't, you don't buy stocks or sectors just for diversification, but the, the, the story I tell people is, you know, whether the share market's up or down, whatever happens to Bitcoin, whatever happens to global tensions, whoever wins the footy, uh, we all go home, we eat a steak, eat some tofu, wheat, um, other grains, bread, milk. We have we have agriculture. So its earnings tend to be quite resilient. The, the ex- exogenous shocks it faces are more weather-related. So it's tend, it's tend to have powered on despite share market volatility, just despite COVID. But the biggest challenge it's faced, like everybody faces, is in the supply chain. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of tourists would come uh, to pick fruit, um, come on a working holiday, pick some fruit out in the regions. They haven't come, so the uh, again staff costs have gone up because no one, the locals seem to not want to go to Bendigo for a summer and pick some fruit, whereas the the backpackers used to love to do that. They've gone. Wages costs have gone up. Uh, logistics. I met with a trucking company this morning, um, moving fruit around from the farms to the supermarkets. There's a supply a shortage in supply of truck drivers and trucks. So moving it around is costing a lot more with people being sick or unable to work because of COVID and quarantine rules. Uh, the cost of moving the agriculture out has gone up. Now, ultimately, we'll see that in food inflation. In terms of the, the, the volumes, the volumes have been good because of a, a bumper winter and a bumper summer crop and strong commodity prices. Um, it's just moving it around has become more complex because of COVID. So we'll start to see, well, we've already seen some food price inflation come through. Philip, what are you factoring into your pricing models with these businesses in the ag sector in the next, I guess, 12 to 24 months? Is it is it massive numbers? Yeah, that, that's an interesting one. So I look at 
a handful of agricultural commodities or agricultural data points. So the single biggest drivers are the size of the winter crop, mainly wheat, the size of the summer crop, then obviously the wheat and the barley price. Livestock prices uh, are topical at the moment, particular cattle and sheep, and then you've got wool and um, other other um, other lesser commodities. They tend to be going up. Now, they're going up for a number of reasons. A, we've had great rainfall. After a year or two of drought where we saw um, volumes fall, we've had some great rainfall and we continue to have great rainfall. So volumes are going up. So that's a tick. Because of what's happening in the other side of the world, again, supply of commodity prices, we're seeing wheat and barley futures prices go up. So that might be short-term in nature, but at the moment we've got perfect conditions in terms of strong volumes and strong prices. You have to assume they mean revert at some stage. Uh, I'm in the stronger for longer camp, but you know mm. these aren't permanent conditions, hopefully. Um, in terms of livestock prices, um, with the drought, we had an increase in what's called turnoff. You can work out what that means. So we, we lost uh, we lost a lot of the herd. Now farmers are rebuilding, um, regrowing the herd. We've had great rainfall, so there's there's grass on the paddocks. There's less cattle offered for supply, so that prices have gone up. Again, that will mean revert. It's not like planting a tree. It, it takes years for um, for the, the herd to get back to where it was and for prices to come down. So although when you model something in a spreadsheet, you do mean revert to a normal, for want of a better phrase, rate of return. But at the moment, I can't see it happening. You know, you've you've had three three agriculture companies that I follow put up strong trading updates in February and March, uh, parts of April. That we've got at least another twelve months of strong conditions in the ag sector, which means more food inflation. It will mean revert, but not not this calendar year, according to what I can see. From your uh, perspective, is climate change, again, a huge concern in this sector then? Is that something that, you know, really does potentially impact um, agriculture? It certainly has. I mean, uh, some of the ag stocks I've looked at, the, the grow fish, for example, warm water, warming of the water impacts um, rate of growth. Climate change can impact things, just changing rainfall levels. At the moment, we've had very good rainfall what you don't want is irregular weather patterns. Um, we're lucky at the moment we've had early and heavy rainfall that there's moisture in the soil. It kind of needs to rain from April. You know, the, the, the old adage is if it rains from Anzac Day onwards, we'll have a good crop. So at the moment we're getting it early. But if you start disrupting rainfall patterns, um, yeah, it will affect, um, it will affect crops and, and you know, livestock growth and all that kind of thing. It happens slowly. Mm-hmm. Happens very slowly, but it certainly is happening. And farmers, uh, farmers are learning to adjust to that uh, where they where they need to. Now, I'm going to throw you a little bit of a curveball. Okay, so one of our listeners actually wanted to get your thoughts on one of these other companies that isn't under your coverage, SHV Select Harvest. Can you give us any um, thoughts or your opinion on this business? Yeah, I've looked at it uh, briefly in the past and um, I did overlook it, which was a mistake, but I'll tell you why I did. Mm-hmm. It's an almond grower and I, in my career, I've tended to avoid single commodity plays, whether it's an agriculture play or resources play. I've always preferred the diversified. So the issue I have with commodities is the price is set globally, but the volume is set locally. So if you're growing in Australia and you get a bumper crop, that's great. But if you get a bumper crop globally, then the prices are, are falling. So I have never followed that too closely because it is a single commodity play. 
And if the conditions are in your favour, that's great. If the world stops eating almonds or there's a poor crop in Australia, you get wiped out. It's a bit like investing in resources and only picking one commodity, coal, copper, gold. If it works in your favour, happy days. If it doesn't, guess what? It's it's it's, it's the downside. So uh, my understanding, it's a well-run business. They've done very well. But personally, I've never bet on just one one horse, one commodity. So I've never never covered a close. I prefer something more diversified where ag's just like any other business. You never have all cylinders firing. I'd, I'd rather have five out of six than just bet on the one. Tell us the process of, you know, your checklist, right? You're going out hunting to find the next compelling business that you want to cover and go the journey with. You don't like to go single kind of um, single commodity, as you just explained. So is there any other kind of checks and balances that you do to find that compelling business? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I always start with an analysis of the industry. You, you want a good industry, you want good management, and you want a cheap stock. And at the end of the day, if you find good management in a bad industry, often the bad industry wins. So you start with the good industry. So what's a good industry? Ideally, a growth industry, not a mature industry, um, high barriers to entry, high returns on capital. I don't like um, companies who are constantly bleeding money. I prefer to see companies making profits uh, and growing those profits. Prefer high returns on capital to low because that gives you some margin for error. So if you do get a COVID or an exogenous shot, they can still make money. They just make less. How hard is it to get into the industry? Is it capital intensive? Is the behavior rational? Or are they competing in price? So for me, first and foremost, find a good industry. Mm-hmm. Secondly, is management. You know, management's got to have a track record. Ideally, runs the business well, have skin in the game, especially with smaller mid caps, you know, wants it for them. I always look at their key performance indicators, their KPIs, and ask, are they aligned with shareholders? Because you've heard the um, you've heard the phrase, you know, show me the uh, show me the incentives, I'll show you the behaviour. Um, so, what does management need to do to get paid, to earn a bonus, to earn their shares, or whatever whatever um, whatever their remuneration is? And then it's ideally got to be cheap. Valuation is important. I don't like to own expensive stocks just because they're good. We're investing in shares, not companies. So, you know, we're not taking them over. So it's, you're building a share portfolio. You know, I've seen people overpay for quality stocks because they want to own a quality stock, but then it didn't live up to the high expectations and it underperformed in the portfolio. So valuation is the third, but it, it is part of it. So being a value investor, when you do go out and uh, find these businesses, when it starts to rally, Philip, does that sort of force you to go, all right, I have to take profits or do you move to sell? Like on the other side, you know, how does that work? It depends on why it rallies. If, if it rallies because your thesis is playing out and the market is catching up to your earnings forecast, then yeah, you take profits, you rebalance. So if the expected return falls from pick a number, 30% to 15%, you take some profits because you wouldn't, you know. If a stock outperforms, uh, your position builds in the portfolio and your expected return falls. So mm-hmm. portfolio theory tells you you sell some. If it's outperforming because there's been an upgrade, then you might even buy some more. So yeah. it depends. But all things being equal, if if I haven't if my price target hasn't changed and the expected return falls, then you take some profits because you might get the other scenario where it actually falls for no reason and you buy some more. So if you haven't sold, if you haven't taken any profits, it might be harder to buy buy a few more when it um, when it falls for no reason. So with all that in uh, in the back of our minds, give us an example of a company you've recently added to your coverage and why it it hit all those checklists for you. 
One I added uh, about three weeks or so ago was Elders Limited, stock code ELD. I knew uh, you were going to say that one. <laughs> well, you know, we, we've been talking ag a fair it's bit. It's been a cookie. Uh, yeah. uh, it's the Australian agriculture. It's a good industry. We, we produce a lot of um, agricultural commodities out here. It's, it's one of our top top exports. We produce a lot of wheat, a lot of wool, barley, beef, etc. So we've got some good product that the world wants to buy. We've had a couple of years of um, very strong seasons, summer and winter crop. Some of the commodity prices, soft commodities have been quite strong. Uh, and because of what's happening in the other side of the world, you know, people want security of supply. And countries like Australia are very stable and you can place your orders every year and get your, you know, get your products um, over in a boat uh, when you need to. And you haven't got some of the issues that we have um, in the other side of the world. So, you know, with things like um, COVID and, and potential interest rate rise, and people trying to work out where a particular company's earnings are going, you know, what is the new normal. We will go home tonight. We will have some dinner. There'll be some sort of agricultural product on the table. That is pretty much a guarantee in this country we live in. So the industry, I have a positive view on. Elders has now been run by Mark Allison, Managing Director, for about seven, uh, seven and a half years ago now. When I met him, he was running CSPB chemicals outside of West Farmers. And West Farmers and Elders are very much return on capital focused. So the Elders Board and Management Talks return on capital. I've been on site visits out in country South Australia talking to people in overalls holding pitchforks telling me about they need to get return on capital. <laughs> Did you know, it's right, the culture's right throughout the organisation. So in order to get more capital from head office, they need to give the return on capital um, argument, which is fantastic. So for me, it's a well-run business where management gets remunerated for delivering returns to shareholders. 5 to 10% EBIT growth with a minimum of 15% return on capital. And they're currently getting over 20. Fantastic. Uh, and, and I was just, um, so I, I joined Sean, I was looking at what stocks to reinitiate on. And I saw um, two of their peers, it was New Farm and Grain Corp, within four weeks of each other, put out very strong trading updates. And elders didn't move. In fact, it fell. I'm like, well, you've now had two companies saying conditions are great, volumes are great, it's shaping up like a good winter, and elders who supply some of the same customers hadn't moved. So I thought, this is this is silly. Elders should be higher. So I reinitiated on elders. And um, good luck or bad luck, depending on your point of view, a week later, elders put out a training update and they said, hey, guess what? Conditions are good. We're having a strong year. And they put out 20 to 30% EBIT uh, guidance, EBIT growth guidance for FY22. It wasn't rocket science. It's just reading um, what the competitors are saying and realizing that conditions are strong. Market had missed it or were focused elsewhere. And um, elders has rallied strongly since, uh, since we initiated. I guess sticking with the elders theme, how often do you speak to management and you know, what's involved from your end to continue to follow and report on the business? I try and speak to them as often as I need to without pestering them, but not, not just them. So if you only, it's important to talk to management how often, uh, if I've got a high conviction call on something, it's very rare two weeks go by and I haven't given them an update or asked them for an update or put a potential investor in front of them or, or something. But I also do a lot of channel checking. So I talk to their competitors, I talk to their suppliers, their customers, you know, unlisted people. Um, you know, I apply what's called the mosaic theory, talk to a whole bunch of different unrelated or semi-related companies and get a picture of what's happening. So an example, spent a few days in Melbourne last week seeing some companies and 
companies in different sectors to a person all said we are seeing rising costs of staff, particularly mm. in the IT space. And, you know, again, to a person, all the anecdotes were like, you know, 10 to 20% growth um, in IT staff costs if you can get them. In some cases, you couldn't get them. So by talking to a whole bunch of um, unrelated companies, you kind of work out, well, guess what? guys, uh, staff costs are going up. I better look at my models and work out who's got a high proportion of IT staff on their books because those costs are going up, not down. And on the channel checking side of things and the DD you're doing there, I guess, what's your insights into the vegan agricultural sector? You know, is it growing rapid pace? Is there a lot of interest or pushback from from the sector? I wouldn't say there's a lot of pushback. It, it is growing. It, it is a movement. It's a vegan, natural. There are some themes that are just constant and they're going to keep growing. And although myself, I might not be a, a user of the product, you can't deny there is a movement towards um, non-meat-based yeah. product. Uh, and, when, and when you see mainstream fast food chains going down that space, yeah, absolutely. I do a bit of research into protein and health and protein, uh, soy-based sources of protein can be almost as good as meat-based sources of protein. So there's no real reason to have meat if you choose not to have meat. And as that becomes more and more mainstream, I think it'll continue to grow. Um, so again, demand for soy, good for Australian farmers, something else to grow, diversify their portfolios instead of relying on wheat, barley and beef, more soy, more others um, can only help them. Good for the bottom line at the end of the day, right? Diversify. Absolutely. And it's good for companies like Elders who supply them and the more different inputs um, they can supply them with, the better for Elders. Cellular aquaculture you know, and lab-grown meat, you know, what are your thoughts on that? My general view and a sample of one is that people like wild-caught fish. It tastes better. It's just the way it's always been done. We will evolve. We do We do grow cows and chickens, et cetera, on farms. I, I went and saw this company, which is listed. I won't name them. They, they did, um, let's call it swimming pool-grown particular type of fish, it just didn't taste the same. Really? There's a market for it. I uh, I ate more bread than I did the fish. But look, it's a way to get scale. Not all things are better with scale. I think we'll get there with time, but at the moment, you look at what's happening in other other forms of livestock, people prefer free range, right? Yeah. Um, we can, whether it's cruel or not, people prefer free range. With some aquaculture, we're going the other way, so... Yeah. Again, I'm not the target market. I'm, I'm sure one day we'll get the formula right, but I haven't come across anything at the moment that's maybe say, yep, I'll order that from now on. I mean, I guess it's not mainstream enough. I mean, it kind of interests me in the sense that perhaps I can have something that tastes like fish, but it was never actually a live animal or something that tastes like beef, but it was never actually a live cow. That's where I find it quite interesting because I would definitely be vegetarian or vegan, you know, if I had to kill my own food. <laughs> Like yeah. Yeah, basically. So just pivoting a bit now, before we um, started the pod, uh, Philip, we were talking about Myers, right? And you've gone the journey with that particular business. So talk us through the process of adding a business, loving it, then selling it for whatever reason, and then adding it back again. You know, is there a sort of system to that? For me, I, I think longer term, I'll typically sell out of something if it gets completely overvalued. Um, mm-hmm. The market can sometimes fall in love with the stock. 
I'll give you an example, quality company in IDP education that I covered early on, like it was around three bucks or so when I initiated. Uh, stock's done really well. I think it's 30 bucks or so as of today. So if you wrote it the whole time, uh, you would have made a lot of money in the company. Yeah, no brainer. Well, for its shareholders, hit forty bucks. Um, I changed jobs; so I wasn't covering it, but you know, just talking to people, really forty bucks. Like, um, what are you buying at forty bucks? Sometimes, as a company gets bigger, it attracts more attention, gets a bigger weighting in the index. The index buyers buy in. And you've got to sit and ask yourself, is this the, the best use of my um, limited capital in my portfolio? And you don't necessarily need to sell something if it's a little bit expensive, but if it's, let's say, hypothetically twice your price target. So, well, you know, maybe you can recycle into something that um, it's a bit cheaper, maybe still is good quality, but a bit cheaper. And it's fallen back from 40 bucks to 30 bucks. So nothing wrong with the business. It's just, um, in fact, it's a great business. It's just people piled into it because it was bigger, more liquid. They felt they needed to own it. But you're buying shares, you're not buying the business. So, um, you know, think of it as an investment, not um, not a company you're running. So basically don't fall in love with a stock is your point there. Yeah, it's easier to say that I'm done. It's easy to say don't fall in love with a stock and don't beat yourself Especially up. when you're making money. Especially when you're making <laughs> yeah. money. But it's it's I find the reverse happens more so when people won't sell a mistake. Like yeah. they've lost money and there, there's something in human nature. People let beat themselves up less if they sell a pro, if they take profits on something too early and it keeps running as opposed to something drops. You hang on to it in the hope that it gets back to your entry point so you can um, you can exit. Um, I find the downside is where people forget to sell or don't sell too soon. It's human nature, I guess. So in a moment, we're going to be hearing Philip's thoughts on the strong industrial sector as well as other sectors under his coverage as he's a generalist. Now, we're also going to hear why he's a bull on that company. So actually stick around to hear some more interesting stock picks. But before we do, we're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. 
So we've covered a lot on the businesses that you are liking at the moment in the ag sector. But Philip, let's switch tactics now. Let's go to more, I guess, consumer discretionary um, and maybe touch on healthcare. So one that you cover is um, in the beauty space, BWX. Talk to us about that business and why you like it. Sure. So BWX uh, is a natural skincare beauty brand. It owns brands like Sukin, Angela Naturals, Mineral Fusion, Nourish Life, Flora and Fauna, and it recently bought a business called GoTo, which is uh, run by Zoe Foster-Blake, uh, which some some, yep. some may have heard of, very, very popular brand. I like the business from the beginning um, for a number of reasons. A, the natural category is growing. You know, we, we were talking earlier about preferring me, preferring growth sectors. What we found during COVID or the recent years is that Beauty is non-discretionary. You know, people didn't stop spending on on, on beauty products because they were staying at home. They changed what they were spending on, more in-home consumption, you know, hand creams, moisturisers, less makeup products. But now as we're all moving back into the office, the, the makeup, you know, the facial, facial care stuff is growing again. The sector is definitely non-discretionary, probably growing about 4 to 5% per annum. Within that, the naturals category is growing at a faster rate, perhaps 5 to 6%. So all things being equal, a bit like the, the vegan uh, discussion earlier, if there's a natural product that's as good or better than the chemical-based product, more people, most of which are women but some men, would prefer the natural option. So it, it's a no-brainer that this sector will grow. And um, BWX is in the position that it owns three top-selling brands in two countries. Sukin is number one in Australian pharmacies and in Australian um, retailers. Andalou Naturals is number one in its category in the US and Mineral Fusion, uh, more of a makeup brand, is number one in its category in the US. So when you are the number one selling natural brand into a market, anyone else wanting to grow in the space We'll usually start with the number one. So let's, let's take Australia, for example. The skincare category was dominated, still remains dominated by the pharmacy chains, um, you know, the chemist warehouse, the price lines, et cetera. When Coles wanted to enter the category, they started with Sukin. They, their first skincare, one of their first skincare brands, their dominant natural skincare brand is Sukin. Similarly, Chemist Warehouse uh, is leading off with Sukin. There's a bit of a kin, but two mega retailers have started with uh, the number one selling natural skincare brand. Uh, and they are, they'll be their top two, top three customers this financial year on a run rate basis. So it's a growth sector that's not going anywhere. It's, it's here to stay. And the margins are pretty good, right, as well in, in that particular space? Margins are good. They, they manufacture their own brands. Uh, Sukin is manufactured in-house. They're building a new facility or in, expanding their facility in Victoria to bring more of the manufacturing in-house. But the, the mm. margins on skincare, depending on whether it's outsourced or in-sourced, will vary from, say, 30% to 70% because you know, they've got economies of scale. Um, it's, yeah. it's a mass market product and um, you know, the value's in the brand. Speaking of mass market, we all need healthcare. I know you all also cover a couple of businesses in that sector. What are you liking in that space? Yes, yeah, so I like um, Sigma Healthcare. Uh, again, they it's um, they're a pharmaceuticals wholesaler. So there's about five thousand five hundred pharmacies in Australia. They have a choice of about three wholesalers: uh, Sigma, API, which is now owned by West Farmers, 
and EBOS or Symbian, which is owned by EBOS. So a choice of three, uh, it's linked to aging population. It's linked to preventative medicine. Um, you know, every year we spend, I think about, it's 15 billion plus spent on prescription medicines every year in Australia. And that's only growing. 15 billion. Sorry to interrupt you. Just letting sink that in. bill on um, prescriptions, 20 bill roughly in pharmacies every wow. year. So it's an important and growing sector. Sigma is one of three wholesalers. Um, they've had a decade of two halves. I describe it in my research. First five years where everything went right. Last five years where a few things have gone wrong. Uh, they've got a new managing director, who started about two months ago, uh, very, very good track record at a company called the Clicks Group in South Africa. I think it's been about 28 years there. It's a bigger version of Sigma. So he's joined, um, he joined in February to help um, turn Sigma's fortunes around. And so far, he presents very well. And he will um, give us a strategy update around September this year. And um, again, I think it's underappreciated stock has had a bit of a a rough 12 months, um, but it's in a good sector. It's in a stable sector. And I think um, earnings will rebound strongly over the next two to three years. That's a really interesting point. So basically, Sigma is one of your stocks, which has been recently sold off. Is this potentially a buying opportunity? I know we've actually seen a lot of healthcare has been sold off. I mean, CSL isn't doing too great either. Perhaps it's the environment we've been in in the last couple of months, um, but we'd be keen to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, it's interesting. I think a lot of the healthcare stocks ran as as the, the pandemic rolled out, people were trying to pick um, the beneficiaries of the pandemic. Sigma's been both a beneficiary and a victim of the pandemic. You know, they're selling a lot of rats at the moment. So that's been a positive. But when we're all in lockdown last winter, we weren't getting sick. We weren't traveling. We weren't going to work. So there was no cold and flu season last year. So they missed out some sales there. Uh, They also implemented an SAP system. And surprise, surprise, it's quite complex and taking a little longer than expected. So they've lost sales. So Sigma never really rallied because of the, the, the who's going to benefit from the pandemic. Net, net, I'd say it's neutral. Um, we all went out and bought more hand sanitizers when it first started. Um, and then people didn't get sick over winter. And then we bought some more rats. So I call it a neutral for in terms of what it's meant for them. Again, it's a case of what does the new normal mean? At the moment, people aren't traveling. A lot of our diseases come from imports tourists coming and spreading the love. Um, we, have, we haven't seen that. People are still working from home some days a week. So we might not get a, uh, and that's probably a good thing, we're not get a terrible flu season. But, you know, most people are going into the pharmacy and getting a jab for one reason or another, and they'll, they'll pick up a lot of uh, preventative medicine while they're there. So we will get back to some level of normality. Um, but Sigma's definitely under earning at the moment, and the potential is a lot greater than the result. They just delivered. What is the price target on Sigma at the moment and what is the code? So the code is SIG and my price target is um, 60 cents per share. And what I find extra interesting about this space at the moment, you know, fund managers may have been selling the sector in the last couple of years, but we saw recently West Farmers decide to make a big investment in the space and they took out Australian Pharmaceuticals Industries API. So the corporates are saying, well, these stocks are perhaps at cyclical lows and are starting to invest. And you can bet um, West Farmers will behave rationally and look to improve the industry, um, which may or may not make Sigma a target for somebody else. But certainly, you know, Sigma at its current share price around whatever it is, 45 cents or so, 
60 cent price target, I think it, I think it should be trading a lot higher. Note that one down on your order pad, guys. Um, now, besides Sigma, have any other key positions being sold off lately that you think could be a good buying opportunity for our listeners? Yeah, look, there's a couple more that I've um, I've let off with. Um, one is a company called Servcorp Limited, SRV. They provide flexible workspace, um, so service offices, not you know, not five year leases, more six to 12 months leases. For me, that's a case of what is the new norm. I think working from home uh, in a lot of companies is the new norm. And a lot of the mega, mega companies are now reducing their fixed office footprint and perhaps relying more on surface offices to house their staff when they're in the office. Uh, And that's great for a company like Surfcorp who offers flexible workspace solutions, including virtual. You know, we can be sitting at home um, with a virtual office in Chifley Tower and come in for a meeting when we need to, but we're sitting at home with a Chifley Tower address. So I think demand for that will increase. It sold off during the pandemic because everyone fled the offices, including service offices, because we're all forced to work from home. Globally, the conditions are recovering. So Servcorp's perhaps suffering from, you know, 90% of its shareholders being in Australia, but 90% of its earnings being offshore. As we all get back to work in the cities, uh, people are realising that Servcorp's model is perhaps the new norm going forward. I've got a $6 price target on that, so I think it's uh, it should be a lot higher. Once they can deliver, they show that things are getting back to normal and they're delivering the, the strong cash flow that they normally deliver. And I guess listening to all of these companies and the the reasons you like them, you keep coming back to that key point. It's about the long term. So what's a short term, I guess, concern for investors in their portfolio is rising interest rates uh, and inflation. We're hearing double digits in the US and we're hearing more like 7-8% here in Australia eventually in the next couple of months. Plus we have an election around the corner, which markets hate. So what's your thoughts on rising interest rates and you've touched on labour and other things increasing into the business models across the different sectors you cover. Is there a particular sector that stands out the most that's going to be hit, in your opinion, by rising interest rates? My valuation technique is discounted cash flow, DCF. So I do present values of future cash flows. Generally speaking, the higher the interest rates, the higher the discount rate, the lower the valuation. So some of the pullbacks you're seeing is because interest rates – Long-term, say, Australian bonds have gone from 1% to 3% uh, in the last 12 months. That can be a material impact uh, to your valuation if if it's uh, you're dealing with what's called a long-duration stock. Its earnings are more into the future compared to something else. In my modelling, I never followed interest rates all the way down because I didn't believe they were going to stay at 1%. So I still I have used 3% throughout this whole time. So they're back to what I've been assuming at um, this whole time. So that probably meant that I didn't pick the peak, but I don't try and pick the peak but I'm now not downgrading as the rest of the market is. So what you're seeing at the moment, it's probably, tech's probably been hit the most because they are, by long duration, I mean, their cash flows are more longer dated. They're further out. And the further out your cash flows are, the more sensitive the valuation is to a rise in interest rates. So that's why you've seen the tech sell off. Some of that will be earnings related, but to the extent that that is valuation related, that doesn't come back unless interest rates come back. Then there's a secondary effect. Rising interest rates means rising cost of capital. It becomes more expensive for some companies to reinvest. Some projects might be unprofitable at the margin, so they don't do it. So there might be some forecasts out there that you know might not happen because it's um, it's value destructive for the companies to pursue that. So I 
try to be more conservative in my forecast. So the the five stocks I've written on at Shoring Partners, I think there's minimal risk. Unless the interest rates go to 10%, then I think then we're all in a bit of trouble. Yikes. Thank you so much for that. You've given us some really, really valuable insights. And I think our listeners are going to honestly find that so interesting on how you actually value a company um, and, you know, what you're really looking for. So we've heard about quite a few of the businesses that you do cover, but what would be your number one pick? This is what everyone's been waiting for. <laughs> I don't like number one picks because it depends on what else people own in their portfolios. Uh, but if I can give you two for two very different reasons, if that's okay. Go for it. Even better. Two okay. for one. It's two for one. Two for one for different reasons. First one is elders. I think people, my peers are underestimating how strong the ag sector is at the moment. And I'm in the stronger for longer category. Uh, I did some very rough analysis for my colleagues uh, yesterday, um, looking at market expectations, what the company aspires to deliver. Because of people like to mean revert, the market is forecasting a decline in earnings in FY23 because of a mean reversion in whatever ag cycle they're looking at. Uh, I've got forecast growth. And if I'm right, there's big upgrades to come in the market for FY23. And I, I think um, I think Elders is worth owning over the longer term. Um, but certainly there's a positive surprise coming, I think, in the next 12 months uh, if they can continue to deliver. The second one is is BWX Limited. Um, because of the COVID impact in their 30 June result and the February result, stock's been sold off. Stock is more than halved. Um, it was went from a high of 565 last year to about $2 today. I've got a $4 DCF on it. The company's having a strategy day in May where I think they'll be um, – They'll be showcasing the new facilities down in Victoria. I think it'll be well received. Uh, I don't think um, the natural category is dead. I think their brands uh, were COVID impacted. My channel checking suggests that they were genuinely impacted by COVID in the September quarter. Uh, We will one day get back to normal and hopefully it's sooner rather than later. And I think think this stock should be a lot higher because skincare, beauty care is non-discretionary and natural will continue to outgrow the market, certainly in my working lifetime, in my opinion. So there you go, guys, hot off the press, ELD for elders and BWX. He is really keen on those businesses um, for the for the reasons he've just outlined. The big key message that I'm really taking away from today's chat with you, Philip, is stick to the long haul, know the management, know the expectations. Don't be afraid if you do know the business is got a couple of short-term rough months ahead, but the, the projection long-term is looking good, particularly with elders, you're Mr. Positive when everyone else is Mr. Negative on FY23 earnings. So I'm going to be definitely watching that of interest and a good way to wrap up today's chat we ask all of our um, special guests who sit down with us particularly this is a good one for you because you're in the agricultural sector what's your preference coffee tea or tequila <laughs> uh, coffee yeah, definitely coffee uh, well, every year I give up alcohol once a year and I've never given up coffee in my life so definitely coffee well thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today we really appreciate it and I'm sure our listeners are also going to absolutely love this episode. Thanks, Guy. It was fun. Talk Money to Me is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equity Mates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Talk Money to Me are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. 
Equity Mates Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website where you can find the ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Talk Money to Me acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.